All right, well, good morning. It's good to see all of you again. If you have a Bible, grab it and make your way to Hebrews chapter 6, where Christy was just reading from. This fall, Sarah and I undertook to remedy a uh, problem in our family, a situation in our family. And that problem was that our kids had never seen the Rocky movies. And so we set out to fix this, uh, particularly the first four after Number four, you can kind of just forget about the rest, but we set about to watch all of those, and so we started with the first one, and I mean, it was like late 70s, a little bit hard for them to get through, but they endured, and then we got into the second one and the rematch with uh, Apollo, and then number three with Mr. T, and then number four, just Hide of the Cold War, uh, Ivan Drago, that whole stuff. So half of you are with me, and half of you don't have any idea what I'm talking about right? I try to be equal opportunity, give them some young stuff, give them some old stuff. This one's an older one. But whether you know what I'm talking about or, or not, these stories like Rocky or uh, the Lord of the Rings with Sam and Frodo or uh, even our own um, Ross Bradley who completed his first Ironman last week after some challenges he had in the swimming portion and swallowing a bunch of seawater he still got through it. Like these stories of, of perseverance stick with us and inspire us. And we got more Iron Man in here. Uh, several. <laughs> like truly, I'm not just saying that metaphorically. There are some legit Iron Man here. But these stories of perseverance, they stick with us because like these guys, they just keep going. Like Rocky would just get punched and punched and punched. He'd just keep getting up. He would just keep fighting. He would just keep going. And the reason that people persevere in situations like this, now you think about it, like, why do they do it? And it's perseverance is built on what? What do you think it's built on? It's built on hope. It, hoping that what you are working for, that what you are waiting for, you believe, you are convinced that it is worth it. And that is what the end of chapter 6 is all centered around. It is this idea of persevering hope. And what you are hoping for is worth it. And so you just keep going. You persevere because what you're waiting for is worth it. You persevere because of the hope that is set before us. And so the chapter here in Hebrews chapter 6, really kind of breaks down into to two sections, or we are going to break it down into two sections this morning. First, just like I did with Rocky and Sam and Frodo and our own Ross Bradley, the author gives an example, an example of perseverance. And then he gives us a reason to persevere. And so let's look at it in light of those two main points. So number one in your notes then, persevere like Abraham. That's the example he gives us. Persevere like Abraham. So I want you to look up to verse 11, a couple of verses before we started in your Bibles. And we read this. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, this is from last week, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, like dull of hearing all of the warnings he gave, but 
imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then he goes right into an example of someone to imitate. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Abraham is as great an example of grace as you will find in the Bible. Like his pedigree, his background was an Arabic, like his dad was an Arabic, idol-worshiping pagan. And God comes to this guy just by grace alone. Like Abraham is not Abram at this time. He's not deserving of anything. But God just comes to him by sheer grace and says, Abram, you're going to be mine now, and I'm going to set about fixing all that's gone wrong in the world because of sin. And I'm going to do it through you. This is how it's going to happen. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to raise up from you a people. And from that people, I'm going to raise up a Messiah who will bless all the families of the earth. Okay, that's Genesis 12, Abrahamic covenant. Just these gigantic promises of people, descendants, of land, of blessing, right? Promises that Abraham did not deserve, could not attain of his own, but promises he was to receive by faith. And faith he needed. Because when he promised, I'm going to give you a son, he and Sarah were already 75 years old. And you're going to give us descendants? We don't have any kids. And so obviously, like any rational person, they struggled a bit to believe this. We would too. And so God spoke again in Genesis 15, encouraging them, reassuring them. And God brought Abraham outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And so Abraham, I'm just going to give you his story. He, he believed. He trusted God. And he was counted as righteous because of his belief. This is the part of the, of the passages that helped Martin Luther rediscover justification by faith. That we are justified. That we are counted righteous by belief, not works. And this pattern of Promises and then struggle and then persevering. Like this is just the pattern of Abraham's whole life. It is a pattern of struggle, of sin, but persevering because Abraham was not perfect. Like not even close. We, we kind of think sometimes that the Bible heroes that we read about are, are these just super awesome people, really, really godly, and God could never work in our lives like He worked in their lives because they're so holy. Have you ever pimped out your wife? Okay, Abraham did it. Twice. Also, when he was beginning to get a little doubtful that God was going to keep His promise about this son, he and Sarah got together and tried to take hand, things into their own hands. And he had a baby with her servant, Hagar. That's where Ishmael comes from. And that division today still exists. 
And yet God worked through him. And so Abraham was not perfect at all, but what he did do is he persevered. By God's grace, God's strength, and as you watch his life from Genesis 12 all the way to the end of his life, he takes up uh, like 15, 16 chapters. You look at the end of his life, and he is so much stronger in his faith because he just kept persevering. To where by the end that we see he is a changed man. A very changed man. And folks, let all of that be an encouragement to you. God does not just work through the squeaky clean people. He loves to show his power by working through mess ups and failures like you and me. He, shows, he works through the foolish things of the world to show his glory. And in the midst of all of our mess-ups and our screw-ups and our sin, if we will repent and persevere and just keep that on repeat in our lives, repent of your sin, persevere in the faith. Repent of your sin, persevere in the faith. Repent of your sin, persevere in the faith. We too, over time, will watch our faith grow stronger and stronger as it's exercised. And so back to Abraham's story then, another 13 years passes after the deal with Hagar and Ishmael being born. Now it's 25 full years since the initial promise of Genesis 12. Abraham's still waiting. And God comes to him, Genesis 17, repeating the promise and reassuring he and Sarah, I will give you a son. But they're like, God, we're, we're, we're 99. It, it doesn't work. And he replies, yeah, but is anything too hard for the Lord? And a year later, Isaac is born through a barren womb, a hundred years old, to demonstrate that salvation is by grace alone, not the will or ability of man. And so as verse 15 in our text here, Hebrews 6, puts it, Abraham's patiently waited. He's persevered. And he's now obtained the promise, or at least the son through whom all, all the promises would eventually come to God's people. And so he's waited. Isaac's been born. And then God tests him. So you've got Genesis 22. Foreshadowing what God himself would later do. He calls Abraham to give his son, his only son, the son whom he loves, the long-awaited promised one, the son on whom everything depends, he calls him to sacrifice him. And Abraham, now, trained by years of perseverance, obeys God. Not knowing what God's going to do. Knowing this is completely unlike God. He doesn't ask to do these things, but He's asking me to do this thing. So I'm going to trust Him. I don't know how He's going to do it. I don't know what He's going to do. But I know He's promised His Son. He's, he's going to keep His promises to me. And so He goes up on Mount Moriah. And as He raises the knife into the air, tears flowing. I cannot imagine this happening. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy. 
or do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, and note this, took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. You have two pictures of the gospel here. One, the son to be sacrificed, the only son, the son who's loved, the long-awaited promised one, the one on whom all things depend. But our father actually did sacrifice his son. And he is the ram, the substitute for you and me. What we deserve, Jesus took so that we could be given what Jesus deserves. We're given His righteousness is credited to us. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And watch this verse. Listen to this, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And that's the connection to our text back in Hebrews chapter 6. Look at verse 13 again. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So the point is this. By persevering in the faith, despite overwhelming circumstances, huge obstacles, great failure, great sin, despite causes for doubt and unbelief, Abraham did receive God's promises by simply holding fast to the hope that was set before him. And that's the call to us from the writer this morning, to be an imitator of that, to hold fast to the hope that is set before you, to keep going. To not quit when the obstacles are huge. To not give up when the circumstances seem overwhelming in your life. To keep repent, repenting of sin and persevering in the faith. Keep that on repeat in our lives. Fighting the proclivity in our own minds to believe God is against us because of what we've done. Because of our sin. That we're worthless and could never again be used by God, friends, in those moments, remember the gospel. Remember that we are justified, not by what we do, but by what Christ has done, by the blood of Jesus. And through His life and death and resurrection, we are justified, meaning it's just as if I'd never sinned. And just as if I'd always obeyed. That's credited to us. And as we do this, as we persevere in the light of these overwhelming obstacles, you know how it is when you, if you've ever lifted weights, you lift weights, and as you keep doing it, you can add more weight because you're getting stronger, and you keep going, and you can add more weight because you're getting stronger, and as you keep going, you can add 
more weight because you're getting stronger. It's the same thing with our faith. As we persevere, it will keep getting stronger. And it will keep getting stronger. And it will keep getting stronger. And with that, our assurance will grow. One commentator wrote this. He's very succinct. You're going to want to write this down. Growth in assurance comes through perseverance. Growth in assurance comes through perseverance. Now, assurance is in Christ alone. But growth in understanding that comes as we just keep persevering. We keep holding fast to the hope that is set before us. And so don't quit. Abraham patiently waited and he obtained the promise. And so persevere like Abraham. Keep going. Keep enduring. Why? Number two in your notes. Persevere because our hope is guaranteed. Persevere because our hope, like we keep on because it is guaranteed. Guaranteed. Some people say the only thing that's guaranteed in life is death and taxes. But in the only French I know, contraire, mon frère. Right? Our hope is guaranteed as well. Our hope of heaven, of forgiveness, of eternal life, of adoption, of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, of Christ with us right now, us in His presence, then when the roll is called up yonder and the new heavens and the new earth and people from every tribe and tongue and language gather around the throne worshiping the Lamb who was slain. And all that's gone wrong is made right and death is finally mocked. Where's your victory now? Where's your sting now, death? And sin is gone and sorrows no more because the former things have passed away and behold, Christ is making all things new. Friend, all of that is absolutely guaranteed. And so we persevere. Well, why is it guaranteed? Well, it's guaranteed because, this is letter A, of God's promise and oath. It is guaranteed because of God's promise and oath. And so look at verse 11 again. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience faith and patience Perseverance. Inherit the promises. Promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. And then down in verse 17, it talks about heirs of promise. You know who that is? That's us. We are the heirs of promise. We are the descendants who are as numerous as the stars. All who have believed. Galatians 3 puts it like this. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to offspring. Does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. 
For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so as heirs, God has promised to us all that the Abrahamic covenant looked forward to. God's people, the church, in God's place, new heavens and new earth, under God's rule and blessing forever and ever. God's promised this, and God cannot lie. Now, when I was a kid, growing up in a small country church, they, they taught me a uh, little song. They taught me lots of songs that are really good. I, I still, I mean, they impact me today. So parents, let me just encourage you. Teach your kids, you know, little corny songs. They'll hang on to them. And so there was this little corny song that they taught me, and it, it went like this. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Now, I get the heart behind it and the sentiment behind it. But the last line in there is false. There's nothing my God cannot do. That is not true. There are things that God can't do. You know what He can't do? He can't lie. You know what He can't do? He can't not be faithful. He can't not fulfill His promises. And so our hope is guaranteed because God has promised and He can't lie. God has promised and He can't not be faithful. God has promised and He can't not keep His promises. But then look at verse 17. We've got the promise. But then verse 17, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, the promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge, we are all refugees running to Jesus, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And so understand this. There's a sweetness of God on display here. God did not swear an oath to Abraham to make his purpose unchanging. It already was just because he spoke it. God is trustworthy and true, infallibly that way. But he did it to let Abraham know with absolute certainty that this was true. Like God didn't have to do this. But in kindness, he condescended down to Abraham's level to help Abraham get it. He didn't have to do this. God does not need to swear. Like in the Gospels, for instance, Jesus called out the people of his day who used oaths because their word couldn't be trusted. But God's word always can be trusted. And yet here he swore an oath to accommodate the weakness of Abraham and then us, the heirs of promise, our faith. This is kindness. We talk about God being merciful. We talk about God being gracious. We talk about God being forgiven. One of the things we don't talk enough about is His just straight up kindness. He is just a kind, kind, kind Lord and Savior. And it says he swore by himself because there's no one greater to swear by. 
Like when you and I swear, if we're trying to get people to believe us, and again, we should probably be trustworthy people and then they just would believe us. But if we are, we're like, I promise. I promise. Right? Or, or, or we'll say things, you know, like, um, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Right? You guys know that one? Okay, good. I was getting a little worried. <laughs> or we'll say, I, I swear on my, mo- my mother's grave. Right? These are the ways we, w- or if we're, like, we go to the top, you know, we, we swear by God. And this is what we do when we take an oath in office or an oath in the courtroom. We'll fulfill this hand on the Bible. That's where that comes from. There's nothing higher we could swear by. And it's the same for God. It means there's nothing over Him. What else is He going to swear by? There's nothing higher than Him. So He swears by Himself, condescending. He didn't have to do that, but condescending in kindness. Saying, I promise. I will keep my vow to you, Abraham. I will keep my vows to you, heirs of of the promise. He has promised you. He has swore it with an oath. Our hope is guaranteed because of God's promise and oath. And so, hang on. Press on. Be encouraged. The hope that is set before us is guaranteed by the God of the universe. It's rock solid. And so we persevere because our hope is guaranteed. Guaranteed because of God's promise and oath. And then letter B, guaranteed because our anchor is in heaven. Our anchor is in heaven. He's just loading up metaphors to help us understand. Not just metaphors, like truth, but with word pictures. To help us understand how rock solid our hope is. How guaranteed it is. So look at verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so what's happening here is kind of closing this aside or this digression he's been on since the middle of chapter 5, when he first introduced Melchizedek, and was like, hold up, before we talk about that, I need to kind of get on you a little bit, because you're dull of hearing, you're not maturing, you're not growing, you need to mature, you need to grow up, okay? You need to be careful of apostasy. He's kind of closing that section, and so we will return to talking about the, you know, Jesus is better than the priesthood, Jesus is better than Melchizedek, in two weeks. We are going to take an aside next week. But look at, again, verse 19 here. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And we all know what anchors are, right? Anchor down doesn't really mean much right now. They don't, you know. Sorry, Vandy fans. Tennessee fans will thank me afterwards. But we know what an anchor is. It's a big heavy weight that, you know, whether it's on a giant one like on a cruise ship or it's small one on your pontoon, you throw it in. And it, and it helps secure, helps you stay where you're at. It provides safety and security. And it goes down into the water where you can't see. But this anchor 
doesn't go down. It goes up into heaven, into the inner place behind the curtain, representing the holy of holies, this picture of heaven that was a representation on earth in the temple. But this is the throne room of God. The anchor has been set there by Christ Himself. And it is secure. And so our hope is not like any other hope on the earth. Ours is guaranteed. We have an anchor in heaven. Richard Phillips puts it like this. For others, hope is mere wishing. It is wanting but not having. And the failure of mere wishful thinking leads so many into the despair of depression. Christians too want many things. We want blessing. We want peace. We want security. We want heaven. But unlike the hope of the world which goes nowhere and has no anchor, our hope is anchored in heaven by Christ. He has gone as a forerunner, as a pioneer, blazing a trail that we will follow Him, but we could not make on our own, blazing a trail through sin, through death, through our fallenness. He's blazed the trail by His own perfect life, His own atoning death, and there in heaven He has set with His pierced hands an anchor that holds in heaven. And so we have a cable of salvation that cannot be broken or destroyed. Louise Talbot gives a great um, word picture of how this works. Here's what he writes. The Greek harbors, during this time, written in Greek, the Greek harbors were often cut off from the sea by sandbars. So he's helping us kind of understand how this works. Great, great bringing this up to help us see it. So separated from the sea by sandbars, over which the larger ships dared not pass until the tide came in in full. Therefore, a lighter vessel, a forerunner, took the anchor and would go into the harbor and drop it. Way before the other boat, the big boat could even get in there. The entrance of the small vessel into the harbor, the forerunner carrying the ship's anchor was the pledge that the ship would safely enter the harbor when the tide was full. And because Christ, our forerunner, has entered heaven itself, having torn asunder everything that separates the redeemed sinner from the very presence of God, He Himself is the pledge that we too shall one day enter the harbor of our souls and the very presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth. And so friends, it is guaranteed. Like it is a guaranteed hope because of Christ. It can't be severed. Our anchor is in heaven and it holds. I mean, John 10, 27, showing it can't be severed. My sheep, Jesus talking, hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. I know one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Friends, it's guaranteed. It's absolutely guaranteed. Not by you, but by God. And so, like, rejoice today. You have a guaranteed 
hope. And so take a deep breath as well. Like, breathe. Like, seriously, let's do this. It's going to be okay. God has you. He holds you. Hold fast to the hope that's set before you because He's holding fast to you. He will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6 He will. He's promised. He can't lie. He's guaranteed it. Promise. Oath. Anchor in heaven. So keep going. When hostility comes against you because of Christ, look to Him and keep going. When more comes upon you than you can bear because it does, Look to Christ and press on. When the worries of this life and what the future may hold seems overwhelming, crushing, look to Christ and hold fast. Because like an anchor, God will hold fast to you. He will hold you fast. He will keep His promises. The hope set before you is guaranteed. So keep going. He will not fail. That's something else He can't do. He can't fail. And so rejoice. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock. I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father, this is such good news. Such good news. We have hope kept in heaven by you, a living hope undefiled, imperishable, kept in heaven by you. Not us. We don't keep it. You keep it. If we kept it, we would mess it up. We would blow it. But since you do this from beginning to end, redeeming us, persevering us in the faith, you keep it. And it's guaranteed so we praise you that there are certain things that you can't do because of your nature and character. That you can't be unholy. You can't sin. You can't fail. You can't stop loving. I praise you. I pray that this would give a shot of hope to those in this room, to those watching, a shot of hope that, that, that there is hope. There, we have a hope set before us. And that it is guaranteed. There's hope in this world for a ruined humanity. For a wrecked world. For the brokenness in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones that we mourn over, there is hope.
And so we look to you and press on. Help us to live out a persevering hope. Help us for the praise of your glorious grace and the good of those like us that you have redeemed by no act of our own. We praise you, God. We thank you. And it's in your son's name. Amen.